Welcome to Where Hope Grows, a podcast curated to tell the inspiring stories of land stewards, ranchers, and farmers who are on the front lines of the regenerative revolution. Interweaved with wisdom inspired by Mother Nature, these journeys are testaments to her capacity for healing ourselves, our agricultural systems, and our planet. Welcome back to another beautiful, ripe, blooming version of Where Hope Grows. Today, we are celebrating this podcast as a part of a greater community, a beautiful ecosystem teeming with life. You guys are the basis of that. You're my earthworms, my dung beetles, my protozoa, my nematodes, those weird looking grub things that you find in the soil that look like space aliens. You guys are those too. But the point is, it has been over one year. That is a full trip of the earth around the sun since we created this podcast and to honor and to celebrate you the listener today we're going to do something unique something we've never done before and that is we're going to listen to questions fielded from you i hope they came in extra juicy but they were a little desiccated maybe next time we can get a little juicier but when we solicited the request to send over some questions. We got some really great questions. And who better to sit with me and answer these questions than my life partner, my fellow earthworm, as it were, Katie Collins, my wife. I'm thinking this episode is really fun. It was fun to make. I hope it's fun to listen to. And if you guys enjoy it, we'll definitely do this again before our second birthday. Without further ado, let's kick this thing off. Did you get any juicy questions? I feel so disappointed that no one asked any juicy questions. They're pretty... They're pretty... Mild. Yeah. Like... I haven't seen them, but... When you go to a Mexican food restaurant and you want to order some... No, maybe a Thai food restaurant and and you want to order something, but you're like, no spice. It's no no spice. Zero spice. This is zero spice. (laughs) Um, but I also, before we dive into some questions, which by the way, you haven't even pre-read and I haven't even pre-processed. So this is going to be pretty reactive and pretty fun. But before we get into questions, I have some announcements aside from this podcast being one years old. Happy birthday. Um, since the last time we recorded an episode, I was almost bitten by a rattlesnake. And if you don't believe me, listen to this. (laughs) It sounds like the shakers from music class this morning. I kept rattling them and I was like, Scout, what does it sound like? What does it sound like? <laughs> that does sound like a rattlesnake. I'm going to have PTSD if you ever shake one of those around me. Mm-hmm. So I cut the tail off the rattlesnake and it has 12 little rattle boxes and I can't even do it justice. But sure enough, this is a very snaky year out here at the ranch. And uh, a couple of days ago, I was... I heard the strangest noise. You heard the strangest noise too. Sound like that. Two, Katie and I heard it separately. And, and we both thought it was a freaking hummingbird stuck in a closet. <laughs> I mean, come on. I don't know why we why that's where our head went. I guess because we have a lot of hummingbirds out here. We got a lot of hummingbirds. And sometimes... They get stuck. And they have small heads, which means they have small brains. And they don't know how to get <laughs> out of things. So we both thought it was a hummingbird. Uh, Katie went along her way. I went to further explore and investigate and I was banging on the side of the house to try to get it to fly within the closet that I thought it was in. 
Sure enough. Well, you make it sound like we were out inside. It was not in a closet inside. It was like an outdoor storage. It was like an outdoor storage closet. And well, underneath poor baby Wren's stroller, her stroller that we use daily, that we put her sweet, innocent two-year-old perfect butt in, a rattlesnake jumped out and nicked my leg. I felt the wind. <laughs> you were like, how did it nick you and you not get bitten? Well, I thought I did get bitten. And I'm still today not 100% sure I didn't get it bitten. It just breezed you. It breezed me. It was more than a pump fake. It was like. It was after you. It's like someone struck and they just missed. And they just like, I felt the wind of the fist hit my face. And that was the scariest thing that ever happened. I jumped backwards and I smashed my head on a pole. And um, Ren was watching the whole thing. She thought it was really entertaining. And then I got a shotgun and I love snakes. And I we, we are very predator friendly ranch. Um, but this predator was a little bit too close. It can't be living under baby Ren's stroller. Let's be honest. Mm-mm. That's kind of where we draw the line. And so the snake is no, no longer with us. I survived to see another day, but I will for sure have many nightmares of that incident. Have you had snake nightmares since then? Um, Not yet, but snake nightmares are my only reoccurring nightmare. Mm-hmm. I have them like probably twice a month. And I'm not even afraid of snakes until now. But yeah, now and then ever since then, all these things that I've wanted you to do around like the homestead area, you started doing <laughs> like I've asked Taylor to make a path next to our garden for two months. And he was like, that's the most ridiculous thing ever. And now there's like a three foot path. <laughs> oh, yeah. He mowed it. It's a buffer zone. Yeah. And then around the trampoline and over there. Yep. Safety zones. Yeah. Um. But the thing that I, I don't I want to I don't want to fail to mention this is the night before that rattlesnake thing happened, I went outside very much in that same spot, walking through the carport in the dark. And I just had this weird sense, this like guttural feeling that stranger danger, something was lurking in the dark. And I honestly thought, man, that would really suck if I stepped on a rattlesnake in the dark. And lo and behold, about 12 hours later this all happened. So that was, that's pretty fancy. I feel like I'm really dialed into the ecosystem or whatever energy wavelengths that rattlesnake was emitting in the dark, creeping up on me. I sensed it. Yeah. I think you need to dial it in a little bit tighter because you thought that it was in the closet instead of right next to your foot. Well, you thought it was a hummingbird and then merrily went along your way. Well, I was just suggesting you dial it in tighter. I wasn't saying that you're not dialed. Okay. Well, enough about the rattlesnake. The other really, this is bittersweet. And I know this is going to break your heart, but Vice News went bankrupt. Oh, (laughs) oh my gosh. Oh, how is Alice ever going to find another job? For those of you who don't are not familiar with Vice, I don't even want to say the news part. They are propaganda trash. It's yeah, it's vice propaganda. They're so entertainment. obedient to the narrative, driving the narrative, mainstream media. They want to be mainstream media, but they're just not talented enough to be mainstream media. And they're not even second string. They might be third string media. But these guys, if you didn't know, they came out to the ranch and did a hit piece on the ranch. No. They did, they did a smear piece on people who eat 
animal based. It wasn't a hit piece on the ranch. It was more like a, we're trying to show the world that if you eat meat, you must be a patriotic, how dare you, chauvinist asshole. And you love it. You love America and you love barbecue and you like guns and you like putting your kids in awkward situations. Yep. And you're misogynist. Oh, and you're piece of, of shit. Yeah, you're a total piece of shit. Um, and so they came out to the ranch and tried to do this smear piece on the whole movement that we're a part of. And um, you know what? I think this is karma because that business was once valued at $6 billion a couple years ago. And guess how much they sold for? A dollar. $400 million. $400 million to George Soros. So bye-bye. So we know who they are. They, that was already trash news. Wasn't me. So stinky that it belonged in the toilet. And not even a nice toilet, but like the toilet in 7-Eleven. Or the toilet in Thailand. Back to my reference of Thailand. If you ever go to Thailand, bring your own toilet paper. Because they charge you by the sheet. Thailand has so many 7-Elevens. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's really sad, actually. It's close to one every four stores. So back to advice, fake news. Um, whenever they came out and did this hit piece on the ranch. OK, hit piece on animal based. I want you guys to watch it, but then I don't want you to watch it because I don't want Vice to have so any hits, stupid. any views on their crappy toilet media news station. You might as well go look and look at Alice's clown outfit. Because that was legit. Alice was the reporter who showed up. She literally, I, I thought she had a mental disorder. Like, I thought she was maybe um, handicapped in the in the brain. And she was just, like, interning. But she was the actual journalist of this story. Yeah. And the funniest thing about the whole piece, which people won't be able to appreciate now, is since it's been taken down or modified, is that literally the whole piece pretty much started off with a bison field harvest here at the ranch. And they filmed Katie talking to the crowd. And Katie's like, under no circumstance should anyone here be filming the death of this bison. It's very important that everyone's present today. Put away your phones. Put away your cameras. And then the Vice News people had the audacity to not only film it right after Katie said, don't film it. But they put it on YouTube. Yeah, like cut four seconds later. And there is literally like a shot of the bison being shot in the head. Exactly what I said. Dude, absolutely under no circumstance should you do this. So Katie threw a fit and she threatened Vice and the executives and the journalists with taking legal action. Oh. Yeah, you did. You got pretty, you flexed pretty hard. Double, no. double bicep flex with your wrist going outwards. No, I just laid, made, made logical arguments as to their faulty journalist integrity they were logical but they were also emotional and they definitely and you definitely mentioned having this becoming a, a legal i really battle. don't think i did though you did and so but here's the thing i was like that's never going to work they're never going to change it they didn't want to change it they they bumped it up to their executive legal team and at first they were like sorry jack and then you flexed back even harder saying like don't poke a bison mama. <laughs> Don't try to milk a bison mama unless you're the calf. And mm. they, and then they like modified the story. Probably never been done before. They actually edited it out. And I was thinking now in retrospect, but I bet they were just about to file bankruptcy. They were just about to sell their shitty company 
for pennies to the dollar of what they were valued a couple years ago. And the legal team was like, oh, we just we just can't have one more thing. Yeah, just <laughs> one more. Like, we don't want George Soros to acquire this and then have to have a legal dispute with Katie Forrest at Rome Ranch. <laughs> I changed my name still. You don't remember? Katie Collins. But I, OK, yeah, you're right. Who's Katie Forrest? Who is that? OK, so there we go. Those are some latest, greatest news stories that coming was, out here live. That was like Vice. <laughs> that was high integrity journalism. Don't, mm-hmm. don't compare this to Vice. That's the, big, the biggest impulse, insult ever. Um, OK, so are you ready to get into some questions? I felt like I had something to say, but sure. Was it about Alice? No, it'll come back to me. But sh- you guys got to. I don't like talking shit, but you got to go check it out. Check out her outfit. You got in her hair. <laughs> She's like a serpent. So the journalist is probably unemployed now. So if she needs a, a really amazing letter of recommendation, don't ask Katie <laughs> or me. Um, okay, so let's get into some questions. I'm just going to shoot these off. And I don't know if I should say the names of these people or not. Maybe no. some of them I will and some I won't. The ones that are like, I think we're going to hurt their feelings. I'm not going to say their name. Why would it hurt their feelings? Because this first one I put here on purpose. Because people ask us this. And the question is, how many acres do you own? And how many bison do you run? I thought that asking somebody how many acres they own was like the biggest no-no in ranching. That's that's true. That That's why I just wanted to put this question first. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's okay. I so, thought it was supposed to be like the rudest fucking thing you could ever ask anybody. I had to think about this and I had to think like, what's the equivalent that someone who doesn't ranch can kind of like understand the question like how many square feet is your house yeah or or you just like meet it meet a stranger meet your person and you know you meet a person you're like how much money do you have in your bank account (laughs) that's what it is it's like hi my name is dot 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 how much money do you have in your bank account because it's not because like land has value and animals have value Mm -hmm. and it's also in a weird way like if someone if you just meet someone new and you like walk up and shake your hand and you're like hey Nice to meet you. How much do you bench press? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I wouldn't be really insulted by that because the number would be laughable, but I see where you're going. But you're still it. like sizing someone up. Yeah. In a weird way. Yeah. And I guess the real uh, reason why this isn't relevant is it's so context-based. Uh, you know, like how many acres do you own and how many bison do you run? You know, we might own a hundred acres, but a hundred acres here is the equivalent to what, what do you say? 500 acres in Georgia in terms of the amount of grass production that we could get. I think you had that backwards. Oh, I mean, (laughs) but yes, but you know what I'm saying? And like in in New Mexico, for instance, like if you owned a hundred acres, you could run like one cow. Pretty much. Maybe. Who knows? If you're in the desert, for sure. Right. So it's just, there's, it, it, the answer doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. And this is just adequate et- etiquette um, because it's really like, I understand you're a consumer. You're coming out to a ranch. You're like, oh my God, this is so cool. How big is this? Yeah. How, how many bison are on like, here? It's kind of like a, actually a good question, but it's just no, it's not good. a proper question until you get to know someone or someone might volunteer that 
information to you. Do you remember that one time when we were at a bison harvest? Oh God, I were was going to ask you if you remembered this time. How could I ever forget? We yeah. literally, okay, so we were at a bison harvest. This might be that guy who asked the question. He's oh. still trying to, trying to get some answers. He's trying to get, <laughs> still sizing us up. Um, we were at a bison, we just had harvested a bison, brought the tour group in there. Everybody's standing around this animal and, you know, some people are crying and having emotions and we were about to move along and, you know, this one guy says, hey, so uh, I'm standing here looking at this big herd of bison. I'm just wondering, like, how much money am I looking at here? <laughs> like, uh, And I didn't know how to say anything except for, like, I've never looked at our animals and thought of them as price tags. They are not commodities. <laughs> These aren't dollar signs to me. Sorry. I think he embarrassed that guy in front of his friends. I don't know if he has friends. He was, he, he has. He's probably our biggest podcast fan. He, he, that guy, he was for sure. I don't remember anything about him except I was like, yeah, that guy is for sure. He just got an MBA in business and he got his undergrad degree in finance. And this is just how his brain malfunctions. Malfunctions. <laughs> but yeah, that was so rude. That and was I felt so like, so rude. I felt like he had a really good answer that just made him feel so stupid. And he's probably afraid to ever ask an answer again. Ask a question in public again. It's I okay. hope so. Okay, next question. Number two, Ashley A. Hurley. She asked, what tips do you have for people to get into regenerative agriculture? And I know this is a really like broad question and there's really no context because I, I don't really know if she's practicing conventional ag practices or if she's just a consumer, just a consumer. The consumer is everything. I don't want to marginalize the consumer. But um, I'm going to just say, I'm going to say the first thing you need to do is you need to go outside. You need to take off your shoes and take off your socks. And you need to touch the soil and you just need to listen to it. You need to get your hands dirty. That'd be a good starting spot. Introduce yourself to the land. It's very not practical. I mean, I don't think that she was looking for that answer. Well, that's what I would say. Because that's a that's a big uh, kind of like um, maybe like a, a a defining characteristics of regenerative ag is actually listening for once, and so I'm saying, touch, listen, feel, use your senses, communicate, introduce yourself. I feel like she's um, a student or she has like a day job somewhere and she's just like, I'm kind of tired of doing this. How do I get into the regenerative ag world? And I don't think telling her to go take her off her shoes is really the answer she was looking for. Well, if she's namaste, she's probably like, oh, my God, I love Taylor. He's so cool. This is the best. I'm go I'm just, I, I know how to make money now. I'm, I'm going to go take my shoes off. I'm going to go to Sedona and be a sound healer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what do you say then? <clears throat> it's just so broad. I mean, there's so much here. Um, go to all the conferences that you can. Meet as many people in this space as you can. Make as many connections as you can. Read all the books that you can. Listen to all the podcasts that you can. And you're going to find your path into regenerative ag. That's... Because I don't know what she wants her path to be, but sometimes the path is not presented as you want it to be. And you have to look for the openings. Yeah. And you don't have to be in managing land to be a part of regenerative agriculture because it's very ex 
exclusive if like most people don't own ranches and farms, but you can still be a part of it. So to your point, I even think about people like in the nutrition, um, nutrition space or dietitians or even medical doctors, people who are practicing medicine, they can have such an impact and be a part of the regenerative movement by embracing a lot of these ideas um, and applying them into their own daily practices and how they treat their patients. Things like obviously nutrition and having a relationship to the land and to a community and to eat food that is healing from soil that is healing. So Katie's getting ahead of the questions. She's cheating. Number three. Are you ready for number three? <laughs> I was just reading it and it made me laugh. Oh my gosh. This is another, I'm going to have to protect this person's <laughs> name or she'll have to like, she'll change her name because Some, she's going to be so embarrassed. Did you get this question on email format? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we get this question almost all the time. All the time. And this it was so funny. They shot over this question this morning. Seriously? Yeah. So oh my God. It says, how much does it cost to buy one bison? And do you deliver it? Question mark. And that's pretty much like the email. Thank you. Sign dot, dot, dot. And you're like, okay, first of all, I would never sell you a bison. I don't even know you, but just how you wrote this email, like. Unqualified. Maybe you should start off with a pet mouse. Or maybe just buy a dead bison and eat it. Yeah. So, okay. So this person, how much does it cost to buy one bison and do you deliver? So to, to break it down. We never sell one bison. Ever. Never. Under no circumstance. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Why? Why what? Why, why would we, we not, not buy sell one bison? Yes. It's cruel. It's cruel. It bison are a herd species. They don't belong in isolation. Dude. No. Yeah. Nowhere in nature will you find one bison. No. Just like vision questing, having a fulfilled bison life. They need community they need one another they communicate um, they have evolved to be together and so there's safety in numbers um, there's community dynamics within the herd everyone playing a role there's a hierarchy that keeps the whole system intact and i've seen people who have one bison before and it is one of these saddest sights you will ever lay your eyes upon i've never um Wanted to trespass and kill an animal so bad than to trespass and kill that that bison that was sitting in isolation. Yeah, you were in that probably you were just thinking like to put it out of its misery. Yeah, it was so sad. Um, so sad. And do you deliver? Yeah, we deliver, but not one bison. Mm-hmm. So what's the right what's the right amount? I mean, it's all contact. Oh yeah, I wrote this lady back just because this is always our follow up question. It's like, hmm, yeah, I don't know. You, you really shouldn't buy one bison. They're a herd species. And then I love asking, uh, how many acres do you have? The question number one. Question number one. How many acres do you own? <laughs> well, we already have a relationship, and I know this person yeah, is not going to be offended. And and this particular lady wrote back and said, I have two acres. It's like okay, hmm. well, this just seals the damn deal because. Uh, and she lives in central Texas and it's like, you know, our County recommended stocking density is about 30 acres for one single animal. So although you could bring a baby calf on your land for maybe three months, um, it will soon look like a feedlot and you will degrade the shit out of your resources and you will be embarrassed and the bison will have parasites and you will have no grass. Yeah. So that, 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 that answers that up. So how many, how many bison What's kind of the bare minimum for you that you'd sell a starter herd to? 
I think we have different answers. What's your answer? I don't know. I really prefer like a 20 plus. 20 plus is really nice. It's a nice size. But if someone just wanted to start slow, I I, I would say six to eight. Because mm-hmm. if you got different classes, they they yeah they have a good life. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for number four? I didn't read it, but I am ready for it. Okay, I'm going to read this person's name. Reagan Hauser. Reagan asks, Why do you guys raise bison over cattle? And how long do you graze a pasture? And how long do you rest it to maximize the growth? So there's some contextual stuff here. Mm-hmm. But first of all, why don't you take, why do you raise bison over cattle? I think we answered that in a different podcast. Why the fuck not? Yeah, Reagan probably just um, wasn't paying attention to that part, Reagan. <laughs> but um, Bison we- are majestic. They're a keystone species. They're amazing. They're not boring. It's a different market. Uh, you know, like everybody's selling grass-fed cattle. But- yeah. We love cows, too. We eat a ton of cows, and we admire our neighbor cows, so this is nothing against cows. But our spirits- I don't know. I think they're kind of boring. Oh, that's that's just rude. I would raise cows in a heartbeat. For There's- sure. There's some really cute ones here. Anyway. But uh, our spirits just resonate more with the frequency of a bison. And I think it has to do maybe because bison are wild animals. They've never been domesticated. So they've never been bred over time for certain characteristics that deviate from how the animal evolved. And I just like that wild spirit and that unpredictability and the resiliency of a bison. So, yeah, we just kind of always say, why, why wouldn't we raise bison over cattle? Yeah. So that that's that. And then how long do you graze a pasture and how long to rest to maximize the growth? Growth. And this one is yet yeah, just super regionally contextual. And, I'll, and I guess let's just say like for Rome Ranch. So we're in central Texas in the hill country. This area is um, referred to sometimes as flash flood alley because we'll get four to six inches of rain in 24 hours and then it won't rain for three or four months. And so this makes this question extremely challenging because we have, you can't, you can't grow grass. You can't promote recovery without rain. So in a normal year, we have different pastures on the ranch that all perform differently and there's different grasses in them. We have an irrigated pasture with a non-native improved Bermuda grass from Tifton, Georgia. Tifton is what it's called. And we can graze that grass. It fully recovers in 21 days, which is like insane. That's like a mutant monster grass. And we interseed it. So we improve the biodiversity with a no-till drill, which makes it really fun. But we can't go in there after 21 days. The grass is ready to eat, but there's parasites that are going to be hatching. And we don't want the animals to get back in there too soon, or they'll consume those parasites and their parasite load will go up. So we... We try to wait two to three months in between grazing periods of that pasture. Yeah, but I mean, all the pastures are different. So some pastures we um, graze for a couple hours. Some pastures we graze for a day. Some are two days. Some are three days. Um, And then the rest periods on all of those also vary. It varies from two to three months to once a year. Um, Or, you know, we have some pastures that we haven't grazed in almost two years now. Because we're letting them rest. Yep. So it's it it just all depends on what the goals of that paddock are, um, in the context of the species of grasses that are in it. 
I don't know where I where I heard this, but I recite it all the time. Maybe it came to me in a dream state. Maybe it was when I was talking to the soil with my shoes off. Mm-hmm. Um, but 30,000 pounds of bison, live animals per acre, is somehow close to what the natural herding density of the animals would be. Hmm. So that's kind of a number we always shoot for too. Our paddocks are typically pretty small in the growing season. Like we have... 100 to 140 bison, usually in, you know, our sweet spots, like three to five acres when we can. Mm-hmm. We love that. Okay. Number five. Why is hunting important when you can buy humane meat from the store? We got, we got to protect this individual's name or else he'll go into, someone will come and um, burn his house down. Marshall. For asking that question. <laughs> Okay, why is hunting important when you can buy humane meat from the store? <laughs> Not it. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to... Like, hunting is its own thing. And here's what I would say. I would say I'm in favor of any activity that connects you closer to the land. And I'm in favor of any activity that connects you in a closer, more intimate way with your food and the animals that sustain your body and your family's body bodies. And so for me that through hunting, I believe that you can have an opportunity, a platform to have a really powerful, important connection to land and to animals. For sure. But then there's the component of it's hunting is important for conservation purposes. You know, there's, I mean, the Texas parks and wildlife department could has a whole website about why hunting is important. Um, but we have access deer on our property and they're an invasive species and they reproduce multiple times a year. And if we don't hunt them, they get out of control. The wild boar are out of control. Yeah. Uh, the, the apex predators of the ecosystem are no longer with us. Right. So we have to be the apex predators. Yes. And, um, that is just regulating the balance of the prey populations. And so I think the other weird thing that sticks out here is the idea of buying humane, quote unquote, humane meat from the store. Mm-hmm, same. Because what the hell is that? What is humane meat? If you or if you're buying something that's like says humane, humanely raised, that could be really legit or it could just be greenwashing. Because I don't think that term is necessarily defined. No, there is a like certification, certified humanely raised. But when you actually go and look at it, you your expectations for what humanely raised might not be what you expect the certification to be. Yeah. Like, like is it humane to keep pigs on um, sl- slated ground with hay put on top of it for the entire their entire existence or yeah. metal floors? I was I was even thinking like going back to the deer. Uh, hunting mm. is is it humane to put a cow who's lived its entire life on pasture consuming grass on an 18 wheeler a double decker 18 wheeler and truck it across the united states to a harvest plant where it's under artificial lighting it's a synthetic environment it's very stressful it's very scary for that animal is that humane I would say Why no. is humane a standard for animals? Are they human? Well, they're definitely not humans. 
I know, but it's just an interesting concept because in nature, I mean, would you say that that lion that just took down the zebra that was inhumane? Yeah, you would you would say if if a human because that's savage. If force of nature said, "Here's how we process our bison. We have it chased by uh, fifteen guys on horseback, and we shoot the bison with arrows multiple times. Is that humane? And it takes a long time for that animal to die. Yeah, that yeah, you would you would basically that'd be like frontline PETA would come and uh, burn your house down. But yeah, you're right. It's like a totally different standard where in nature you recognize how the system functions and how it's always function. But then you have this thing called humanity and our values and our roles. And then you try to somehow say that we are doing it differently than nature in a way that should be better or more valued. Mm -hmm. That's odd. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing is kind of bogus. Just be skeptical about the term humane meat. Humane meat. Um, okay, number six. Oh, I'll say the name. Life Billy B. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me Life B Lily B. I don't know. Uh, okay, what animal on the ranch gives you the most inspiration? She probably meant livestock, but if it's wildlife, I think you can say that too. Um, well, I haven't given this one much thought. Have you? I, you saw the question before me. Do you have an answer? Um, I feel like kind of a fair weather fan because every time I see a new animal show up on the ranch, that's my favorite animal. Then right now it's the peacock. And then like in two weeks, it's something else. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the new flavor, the new addition steals my heart. No, I think right now I really am so proud that we have dick sizzles. Dick (laughs) sizzles. It's just like a really fun bird name to say. And it's a grassland bird. So why do they provide you inspiration? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess I didn't read the question. I just thought my favorite animal. <laughs> uh, okay, inspiration. I will, I'm inspired every time that I put my shovel in the soil and I find an earthworm, hmm. especially in a spot that I'm just would never assume an earthworm could exist. Because to me, that's so inspiring. That's like so much hope and that's so much. Uh, of mother nature's testimony of her ability to like put a system from dysfunctional state into a functional state using that intelligence and that architecture of biodiversity. And I think earthworms just are like the gold standard for soil health. Hmm. And I just, I'm always amazed that so many people in our community, so many people I'd say like, even a almost like 60 mile radius from our ranch people just in general think that earthworms don't exist anymore. Like I can't tell you how many times people come out here that are local that are shocked that we have earthworms. And so I feel really special to have those on our ranch. Mm. I think that the, um, well, the question is animal, but the thing that gives me the most inspiration on the ranch is not an animal. It's an insect. Does Um, that count? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess you said worm. I know. We, we're really bad at reading questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I was going to say either the harvester ant or the honeybees that we just, uh, in our new, we just have, we have two new honeybee hives that are just amazing. And I guess the reason why they provide me inspiration is both of them are just 
incredible workers. Um, and they just have such good sense. They have such good cooperation within their colonies. Is, do bees have colonies? I know that's a hive. Mm-hmm. The ants are colonies. Bees might be a hive. But bees are colonies too. Because haven't you ever heard of colony collapse disorder? Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I'm like thinking about the ants and they make these incredible homes. I have an obsession with how large their homes can be. And you can tell how big they are by how much bare soil there is in a circle because that's where their homes are underground. And I, I like want to put molten aluminum in there so I can pull it out and see all their chambers and all the things. But, you know, they just, they work so efficiently. They work so well together. And the bees too, you you know, like they all instinctually know that they have a role. And I guess I'm obsessed with this concept because I feel like we need this in our family. Like we need our kids to feel like they have a role in our family. And I've been trying to incorporate that into our lives a little bit more. And so like, I, I, I've been trying to see it in nature, like how, how these things instinctually know, like I belong here and I am required to be a participant here. And if not, like I'm out, bye. Oh, oh boy. So your two examples of how you want our family to function with roles, both ants and bees are run by the queen and the males suck. <laughs> they have no purpose in the whole hive or colony. I didn't even think about that. So well, are you, you know saying that, that you don't need me? Now that we're done having babies, I'm disposable. Not at all. <laughs> You're a queen bee too, but just in a, I'm a male form. Yeah. Wait, what? Hmm. I'm a confused bee. Mm-mm. Oh boy. Um, I didn't mean it would, like that. What would you rather be stung by a harvester ant or a honeybee? A harvester ant. Me too. Even though it is way more painful. That's so weird. Why do we do that? I don't know. I feel like a very strange love of their bites because of the bodily response to it. I think it's so fascinating that I would much rather be stung by it so I can watch my body go through that process. Whereas the bee, it's like, oh, that fucking hurts. And now I have a welt on my hand. But the process isn't as complex. The process that Katie's describing, um, first of all, Harvester answered like the number four most painful stinging insect on the planet, which is insane because we have them all over the ranch and Katie and I get bit like probably once a month. And the process, what happens afterwards is pretty insane where that spot localized where you get bit, usually it's on the ankle or the foot. Um, it swells up and it perspires. It sweats. Like, I mean, like in a spot where you didn't know that your body could sweat, it will sweat. And it sweats for like 24 to 48 hours. I mean, we're talking so sweat where you're in your so sweaty where like you're in your bed and it makes your sheets wet right there. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's probably a good way to detox. Mm-hmm. I bet if I got bit by that rattlesnake, if I just would let some harvester ants bite me on top, it would have sweated out the venom. Ancient knowledge. Lost wisdom. Okay. Next question is by a man named Paul Pavlenko. You remember Paul? You do. Mm-hmm. He came out here with his sweet little boy and his lovely wife, and they stayed at mm-hmm. the hunter's cabin, yeah. and we went over to Wren's Nest, and we swam in there. Oh, yeah. He's real sweet. In the river. Yeah. He might have been from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He was, but it, well, he wasn't like a refugee from the war. He's been here for a while. Yeah. He lives in Oregon. Um, look, Look him up. Go knock on his door. Say what's up. Uh, Paul said, what are your favorite hobbies outside of ranching? Well, I didn't think ranching was a hobby. That's a good point. It's It can be a hobby. 
But I'd yeah. say we're a little bit beyond this being a hobby. Yeah. Because we're kind of in it pretty deep. Kind of invested yeah. heavily. Got a lot of things, a lot of different enterprises here at the ranch. Um, So I would say that my favorite hobbies outside of, well, ranching, even though that's not a hobby, that's, that's a career, it's a vocation, mm-hmm. is I love... I love riding bikes, preferably mountain bikes on the road, just in case someone scares me and I can bomb off the road and not get hit by that car. I still like, I love trail running. I love planting trees. I love going on trips with my family, beaches, mountains, all that stuff. That's a pretty good list of hobbies. Yeah. I don't like reading. No. And I don't like listening to podcasts. Mm. Those are my anti-hobbies. Are those hobbies? For sure. I was thinking like, what would most people say? And they would say, I like reading and I like podcasts. Mm. So you're just... So uh, I had to t- say my anti-hobbies. Mm. Uh, and you also hate checking irrigation lines. Another anti-hobby. Even though that I is, love planting trees. Yes. Okay. Now your turn. What are your favorite hobbies? Favorite hobbies. I mean... I love anything that you love doing because I just want to be with you. Oh, you know what we love doing? Hmm. Fire and ice. Oh, yeah. Sauna. Yeah. Fire and ice. Running, biking. I like lifting weights. You don't do that, but I do that. Yeah. I do a lot of that. Katie loves getting shredded. Doing HIIT workouts. Um, I like I like reading. I like podcasts. Taylor loves music. You're a is music a a hobby for sure. Okay, so you're a music hobby, and music. I'm an anti-music hobby. Music is my love, my love hobby, mm-hmm. and podcasting is your love hobby. See where opposites attracts. No, <laughs> no, yeah. Oh okay. my gosh, you know what else is our real big hobby? Hmm. Seriously, what? You didn't even say it. Food. Mm. We just like are so obsessed. We worship food, real food. Love preparing it. Love eating it. Love exploring, love having other people make us food, going to restaurants that are legit. There's very few of them. I feel like that's our culture is we're like, we're part, like we have a food culture in our family. Yeah. I don't think we're foodies, but I think that we have a food culture. We have really good food values and rules. And I love that we sit down every night together as a family and we eat together. Mm -hmm. The same thing. Unless one of us is on a bone broth fast. Which has happened one time. Which is not my favorite hobby. <laughs> um, yeah. That's pretty solid. That's pretty good. Okay. This next question is from Gretchen Goswitz, who we know very close. She is our sister-in-law. She has a sweet little baby named Diesel. And um, she's our favorite niece. It's Delia. I call her Diesel. Is that rude to say she's our favorite niece in the whole wide world? If she's the only niece in the whole wide world, I don't think so. But she would still probably be if there was another one. She's pretty cute. She's a cutie. Anyways, Gretchen says, has living at the ranch full time taught you anything new about yourself? And I'd say, yeah. I think it's taught me that I can do a lot of hard shit that I don't know anything about. <laughs> and it's also 
taught me that I, there is a sense that is a value that's important, which is to be autonomous and independent. Because when you're out in the country, it is kind of a pain in the butt to drive into town to go get some parts to fix something. And it's also really expensive because things break here all the time. So if you don't have any chance at fixing it yourself, then you're just always going to be relying on other people. So I think living out on a ranch full time has taught me the value of being more self-reliant. Yeah. I feel like you really, um, it's, you have so much more confidence than I do. Like when we got a tractor, you just got on the tractor and fucked around and then figured out how to drive it, which is so dangerous. Like I, you could have knocked the entire barn over, like messing around with all the handles. And, and, and I, I think that's what I learned about myself is like, I don't have that confidence. Like I want a full tutorial of how to drive the tractor before I move it an inch. I want to know what all the controls do before I push on them. And you're like, I'm just going to push on it. And then today I got home and you had the the plunge pool upside down and you had, what were you saying? You rat finked it out. Uh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> you, you chewed like, out all the, insulation. felt like a rodent and ate out all the insulation. <laughs> yeah. To figure out how to fix it. And I certainly would have called a plumber. Um, so I think I've realized that I don't have the confidence that you do. Um, and that I rely way too heavily on other people to, to tell me how to do things properly. But yeah. you want to listen to a whole podcast about driving tractors for sure. And fixing plunge pools. <laughs> I think one thing that we both really embraced living on a ranch full time, being outside of a city uh, is I feel like we've, both become so much more patriotic. I'm like, I love America. This is the greatest country on earth. And I don't care if you don't share the same political view that I do. Cause you can't even pin Katie and I to a political party. Cause we like are free thinkers. At least we, we think we are. Do we think that we are? And we're really not. <laughs> I feel like I don't fit any party guidelines, but I love Liberty and I love freedom. Um, but being out on the ranch has taught me how sacred and how special this country is just from like a landmass perspective. Mm. Like the resources here are so valuable and we're so lucky and this place is so beautiful. And the fact that we get to be here at this point in time in the hill country of central Texas is just a blessing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah. Um. Okay. Are you ready for the last question? Sure. These are good questions. Good question, Gretchen. Number nine, where does hope grow? Not it. Well, I mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I you feel you always talk about this. So why don't you answer it? Answer them all first. Uh, this is one that we get asked a lot of times. And there's so many different ways to take it. But I'll just take it in this direction. Today, because I feel like it. And I don't know if I've done this online, like in a recording yet. But I think hope grows, where, where hope grows for me is being, recognizing that the potential for healing exists at such a great capacity. And that's not only, I think more people can relate to healing 
themselves through their own health journeys, but there's a direct parallel to the most amazing cases of people taking ownership of their health and reversing chronic disease in just a matter of a short period of time by just changing their diet, changing their lifestyle. It's amazing. The human body is so resilient and it's so, it wants to be in a functioning state that is high level. And so like for me, I think about Landon. You remember Landon? Mm -hmm. He's a good example. And Landon mm-hmm. wouldn't care about me sharing this story because he did it in, at our conference in front of like 500 people. But, you know, there, this is like a really awesome story. And it's not special to Landon, who's a friend of ours. Um, this could be anybody and just use it as an example. But Landon, when he was growing up, he was in high school. He's living his best, his best standard American diet life. Uh, he, I think he's like 500 pounds. I think he was 400 pounds, and I think there's a big difference between those things, so that's the only reason I'm clarifying. Well, I would say he was morbidly obese, and I think he would agree with me. He was not crushing life. He was depressed. He was in chronic pain. He had metabolic issues. I mean, he was not living an optimal human life. And one day Landon said, I'm going to change this shit. And he changed his diet. He changed his lifestyle. And lo and behold, here's Landon today. You see this guy and he's just like such a high level functioning, really sweet, caring, hardworking human being that is healthy and happy and has a family, has a sweet wife, has a sweet boy. And uh, and so he like literally reversed what probably would have been an early death, if not like a disability to where he could never have experienced life. And he did that. Because he just changed his own mindset and his body healed. It's it's resilient. It's self-correcting. And so for me to see someone's body do that and then to be out on land and see the same exact same exact series unfold, we have really degraded land and then it comes back at a really high functioning state in just a matter of time. It's like, again, there's nature also has a capacity to heal. And so that's that's where my hope grows. That's nice. What about you? I mean, I think anything in growth format is hopeful. You know, and the changing of the seasons brings hope. The sun coming out brings hope. The smile of your child brings hope. You know, like there's, I feel like there's hope in everything if you can see it. And so it's really your mind. So hope grows in your mind. Mm-hmm. Even a little mischievous smile. Even a kid. A mischievous smile. You just did something naughty. Yeah. I did but I, I think hope is like a state of conscious a state of consciousness. I think it's probably the most valuable human emotion. Yeah. Maybe. It's probably the only thing that keeps us going. Yeah. Like why else would you eat dinner tonight if you weren't hopeful that you're going to live tomorrow. Yep. So we'll just leave you with that. That's why this podcast is called Where Hope Grows because we want to explore that concept and we want to grow it and we want to amplify and we want to share what we've learned and we want to bring in a community of people that also have amazing perspectives and experience and um, sow the seeds of hope together. So thank you for sharing one year celebration with us whenever we have 
a one year birthday party. Oh, you know what we do actually really quick. Hmm. So when we do celebrations, our anniversaries, our years of birth, years of birth, years of life, we make our kids walk up a big ass hill for each year of their life. So we got to walk up a hill one time. Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be that hard. Bring it on hill. Maybe we should uh, like wear weight vest and oh, we should do that that liver king workout. The um, beast, I think, like have dumbbells, pull a sled, have ankle weights, carry two children. <laughs> um, so that's what we're going to do. And instead of a, a birthday cake, we should eat a really good grass fed ribeye. Mm-hmm. Okay. Happy what? birthday to you, Tay. No, it's happy birthday to this podcast. Happy, but it's your podcast. Happy birthday to all the listeners. And happy birthday to you for being my number one co-host. My most highly <laughs> rated co-host. All the people that leave reviews on our podcast always talk about how much they like your episodes. Mm. So thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it, people. I hope next time we give you the opportunity, you, the listener, the opportunity to ask some questions. You guys show up with some actual juicy questions. I'm talking about juice level 10, you know, maybe like a pork chop pan seared and that fat splashing all over your kitchen and your dog is licking it off the floor and you holding your baby and a little piece of fat pops and burns her. You guys need to ask questions like that, you know? romance, love life, um, religion, all the just inappropriate, awkward questions that you don't ever want to bring up in public scenarios. And you can be protected through the internet. We won't even say your name. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you guys for listening again, tuning in, sharing this experience with us. It's been a whole year, an exciting year. Year number two is coming up. Uh, We'll say season number two. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. We have some really cool new concepts we're going to explore together. Some really amazing guests that we're going to feature. And I can't wait to share that with you. But none of this would be possible without the sponsor of this podcast, which is Force of Nature. So give yourself a little quid pro quo and head over to forceofnature.com. And load up on some regeneratively sourced meats, have it shipped to your door, cut into a juicy steak, pretend it's a birthday cake, celebrate with us. We appreciate everything that Force of Nature is doing and for providing the opportunity, the medium, the platform to spread this beautiful message. Now, in the tradition of ending the show with a review on our Apple podcast platform, I hate to break it to you, but there has been zero reviews since the last show. So that sucks. That breaks my heart. That is not where hope grows. But I'm going to flip the switch and I'm going to give you a review today. And my review of you is zero stars. You need to leave this podcast actual factual reviews and I'll highlight those reviews. I'll feature your words on an actual recording. So don't waste your time. Don't just be a passive spectator, participate, let your voice be heard, and please leave a review if you enjoy this podcast. And if you don't, well, beat it. That's all for today. Still, 
no babies, no bison babies have been born. What the dickens? I feel like I'm losing my mind. But hopefully when we speak again, you will hear my voice and you will understand the joy in my words when I say that the babies have landed. All right, farewell. <laughs>